We should be live by now. Hello and welcome everybody for our next episode of the DevOps Easy podcast. And in my virtual studio with me today, my uh, usual and amazing co-host, Kat Cosgrove, developer advocate with JFrog. Hey, Kat. Um, my name is Baruch Sadogorski. I'm head of DevOps Advocacy in JFrog. And a very special and dear guest today, Leonid Golnik the man and the legend in uh, cer certain circles, um, ex-SVP of engineering in SignalFX and Splunk, ex-VP of, en ex of engineering in CA Technologies, as director in Oracle, uh, and in many other... Whatever, a very small role as a glorified figurehead in couple well-known SaaS companies, yes. Yes, this um, and um, a speaker, a podcaster, blogger, uh, and everything else. Uh, so um, speaking about that, he uh, looks at his phone, not because he's bored, but because he's waiting for the a link for the YouTube podcast so he can share it with the world in general and um, his family Specifically my mother. Yeah, specifically so my mother. So we can... So we'll have at least one, uh, one, one viewer. Okay, so I'm going to tweet it right now. Uh, and we are live. All right, um, all right. Okay, while I'm doing that, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Leonid? So uh, I, I started like, like many folks in, in, in our industry as an engineer. I actually started coding when I was 12 because uh, I was uh, an introvert uh, and still am. Uh, so this, this current situation actually was easy for a while. It, it, it's good for introverts. You know, they, they, the rest of the world has discovered how we like to live. Uh, but I am also a trained extrovert just because of the nature of the stuff I used to do professionally or am doing professionally. Uh, I was a software engineer for a while, uh, did this in Israel, uh, got started in delivering B2B software applications over the web in 97, so 23 years this May. Uh, so started doing SaaS before SaaS was coined as the term, uh, then moved to Canada, did uh, run the platform team for the second largest domain registrar in the world at the time, uh, Tukas Open SRS. Uh, those of you that are old enough probably remember two cows as something where you used to download shareware, but a lot of them yeah. don't know that. A lot of folks don't know that, you know, we we, we leveraged that network of uh, download mirrors uh, and uh, had 6,000 resellers of our digital services. And then after that, I ended up by accident uh, doing a consulting gig here in the Valley 15 years ago. And, uh, you know, here I've been since then. It's the high taxes and the great weather that keeps us all here. Uh, and... Uh, Joined a startup as a head of engineering that was in HR space. That startup was uh, shortly after that acquired by a company called Taleo uh, and uh, became the head of engineering for the mid-market business at Taleo. It was a great round for us. Uh, 2007 uh, uh, is when I started at Taleo and we were still trying to convince the world this, this whole cloud thing and delivering software why the cloud is kind of a thing. Uh, we had a great run. Uh, there used to be a, there was a great article back in the day about the four horsemen of SaaS, and it was uh, Salesforce, um, Concur, and two HR companies, SuccessFactors and uh, Taleo. And like any other B2B market, uh, inevitable things have happened. Uh, a buyer wanted a suite of products, and uh, you know we had we both SuccessFactors and us have built our own suites. 
And then uh, a bigger company decided to join our suite was there. So Success Factors was acquired by um, SAP in, I think, November 2011. And we were acquired by Oracle in February of 2012. Um, spent a few years at uh, Oracle and then uh, moved on with uh, a few of my Taleo friends and uh, spent some time trying to turn CA, uh, Computer Associated State Technologies, into a software company again. I've done a variety of interesting gigs there run engineering for the old Wiley product. That was a tremendous amount of fun and super geeky. Uh, I've done some security work, I've done uh, some M&A related work. And then um, after taking a year off, I joined as a head of engineering uh, of another company that was building monitoring tools, it's a company called SignalFX. Uh, you know, the, the world of DevOps is changing. Uh, we can talk about kind of what drives the change and therefore the tools have to evolve. So we were building a new generation of monitoring tools together with several other companies. And as I said, as it happens uh, time and time again, uh, uh, a suite was interesting and uh, a bigger company decided to join a couple of pillars we had uh, in our suite to theirs. And uh, uh, last August, we announced that uh, the company was acquired by Splunk. And uh, since uh, the acquisition has closed and we've completed the integration, I am now taking a bit of a break. It's an interesting time to take a break uh, yeah, and uh, sure. starting uh, to think about uh, what's next. So that's a crazy long history in cloud and SaaS. So uh, how tired are you of the the cloud is just someone else's computer joke? <laughs> like you know on a what? scale from one to ready to roll over and die, how exhausted are you? Hearing that, I don't. I, you know, you know, it's it's kind of interesting because I, I I never took that joke maybe seriously. This is the first time somebody, like I I don't think I care. And 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 fundamentally, as you said, it's way more than somebody else's computer, yeah. right? It's it's, you know, I remember in two thousand seven working with the large fintech customer, uh, trying to convince them that our security is going to be on par, if not better, than yours because our life depends on it as a business, right? There's this thing in says called the reputational risk. So it's certainly, so there's the cloud, right? And there is the SaaS aspect of it. And there are so many layers now, right? Infrastructure as a service, um, software as a service, platform as a service. There's so many layers there. So maybe maybe because I, I grew up in the space professionally, I never cared about as a joke, right? It wasn't funny or sad or, or, or even relevant. Okay. Fair enough. Kat, you disappeared from the video entirely. Hopefully, it's not something I said. Uh, all right. So, Baruch, where's my where's my link? You know, I I, I need I need to get I, I, yeah, I need to check the mentions. Should be there. Uh, uh, from JFrog? No. From DevOps Pick Easy. Oh, there's a separate Twitter account. There, it's a, it's a whole separate operation. It's uh, I mean, it's definitely affiliated and sponsored by JFrog, but it's not necessarily jfrog thing got it so company was in a company like uh, like 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 a real business uh one second <laughs> and here it is and let me retweet this like this and share this with the most important person who is oh my uh, god do, hey uh, do her due to her age uh, you know uh, my parents have been sheltering in place uh, and uh they will appreciate the opportunity to get themselves entertained uh, listening to me talk about subjects they don't necessarily understand. Yeah, yeah no, that's um, completely understandable. I'm, I'm here on the same uh, 
in the same boat with you. And we have an important update from Kat that it's sunny, sunny in Seattle today. <gasps> it so, is. Ka- so, so Kat, I, I, have to, I have to respond in kind. How, how tired are you about hearing the jokes about the rain in Seattle? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm pretty patient with that um, because it doesn't actually rain here that much. Um, I, I grew up in Memphis and it rains considerably more there than it does here. It's just like overcast here more days a year. Um, but I do appreciate that it, it's off-putting the like long-standing rumor that it's like so rainy and dark and gray and miserable and shitty here it's it keeps people from moving here uh-huh. as yeah. often and like rent is really expensive here i know it's worse in san francisco but it's getting pretty bad here so i would like fewer people to, to think it. that it's horrible yeah so, so, so you're happy to, perli- to continue to proliferate the myth yeah, absolutely. It's it's miserable. You know, we never see the sun. It rains like 362 days a year. The beer is terrible. The coffee sucks. Nobody's nice. There's nothing to do. And it's just, Love it. God, no cool bands don't tour here. That's right. So there's, uh, the, 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 yeah, there's nothing Stay to away. do in Seattle. Moving on. Yeah. Everybody should definitely move to San Francisco. Yeah, absolutely. Go oh, stay God. in California. Please don't come here. Yeah. <laughs> Too late for that. We've been having an exodus to places like Austin, Seattle, San Diego, Portland, uh, you name it. Uh, Salt yeah, Lake no, City. We need, we need to reverse reverse it and send people back to San Francisco. Yeah, please, please go back there. But the like, I don't know, increasing popularity of remote work, especially probably after this is over and more companies have realized that, hey, maybe maybe we can actually have more remote workers makes it easier to live in lower cost areas, you know, like Memphis, Memphis. Yeah. My, my rent at my last apartment in Memphis was uh, 500 (laughs) and it was like a thousand square foot, one bed, one bath with laundry in the unit and private parking across the street from my favorite bar utilities included in that $500 a month. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I made the mistake of installing TikTok on my phone recently, and that's a mistake. So if you can avoid it, don't. I, it, it, I mean, it, I'm a millennial. I, so. it, it's not about being a millennial. It's about uh, starting uh, in five minute increments and uh, looking up from the phone and realizing that it's been an hour and a half, at least for me. But yes, um, through the current uh, uh, situation of a lot of people's um, Spend, sitting at home, you, you get an insight into other people's households on TikTok throughout the U.S. And it is kind of yes. interesting to see the kind of houses people tend to have in places where they do not cost like a mansion should. Yeah, um, yeah. That's that's something that is very prominent in TikTok. You look at that and you look at the mansions and you're like, what the hell? Uh, but let's talk about another topic that was part of uh, Kat's remark, and that's uh, remote work. And yep. since... This is something that is with us for now and will probably stick around for, for a while after all this is done. And uh, me personally, I think that a lot of great things will come out of this situation and our adaptation for remote work and making the new normal is one of them. Uh, let's talk about management in uh, remote work, especially the right and wrong things uh, to do and uh, how different types of management can be adapted to remote uh, what to do and what not to do how to check on people or or not all this stuff 
So I'm torn on remote work because if you if you listen to me in the past and and you look at what what I said, you'll you'll know that I'm a strong believer in collocation because I believe collocation is still the most efficient um, way uh, to run the railroad, especially when it comes to development teams. Um, now, uh, you know, last last six weeks of sitting at home, being uh, not in the middle of of a job, uh, gave me an opportunity to ponder that question again. And um, I will continue to, to claim that uh, remote work today is still going to continue to be less efficient in, in, in certain areas. And I'll, I'll highlight them, though. And what I'm wondering is, number one, will, will, will those areas be compensated by efficiency gains from others, like not having to commute, right? Um, like I, I, in, in my last, last gig, the, the team moved to a site where my commute uh, it was two hours at best a day, right? And nope. I could have used those two hours doing something else. Uh, and it went up from maybe 25 minutes each way. So an hour a day. Uh, I think the, and I've also spent uh, a fair bit of time building uh, HR tools. And one of the products I owned was a learning management system where you think about problems of onboarding. So I think there are two areas that we need to beef up and I think companies will struggle with because majority companies, at least in my experience, don't have those solved well. Uh, number one is onboarding uh, new employees or new engineers into the team um, and having a formalized, easy to consume uh, onboarding program, right? And having the right tools that support that onboarding program uh, that, that don't look like a traditional learning management system, right? Bite-sized chunk learning appropriate to the kind of the generation, uh, the generational preferences of different generation of consuming content is one area. I think the second interesting area is, um, uh, is, and I think remote can work much better for people that are experienced, but people who are early in their career and for whom it is a first job, uh, I wouldn't even know where to get them started as an engineer because unfortunately, uh, unlike the folks uh, that come out of the coding boot camps, uh, they don't come out of school, and neither did I when I left school, you know, baked, ready to go and become a software engineer. They don't teach them software engineering as much still. So a lot of this learning, and it's not uh, surprising. Uh, Baruch and I have an acquaintance in common who says software engineering is not, not, it's not in science. It's a, it's a trade, right? And it is. Humans, it's important to note that I went to a boot camp. I don't have a yeah, CS degree. I yeah. came out of a, a coding boot camp, and that was like one of the selling points for it that I could. I mean, I I showed up to the boot camp with pre-existing like front end experience, but one of the selling points is that I came out of that ready to like actually write code. Yeah, you know, and, and I, I I do know, and and I agree with you because like so I, like tradesmen have figured out for millennia how to train their apprentices, right? And you train by observing, and 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 what I think the struggle we're gonna have if we if 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 people want to embrace work is, and that's a that's a, an area that needs to be solved, and I don't know yet how to solve it right, is onboarding yeah. folks who are early in their career because they're the ones who struggle the most, and that. I think uh, transition for me to thinking about like managers, especially first time managers, it's much easier. And, you know, I taught a number of managers in, on my teams how to walk the shop floor, right? And how to watch for body language. And I know I walk the shop floor and I watch for body language to see if somebody is stuck on something and needs help, right? And that efficiency by recognizing the secondary indicators 
because not everybody is comfortable raising their hand and sure. saying, hey, I'm stuck on something or are self-aware enough to know when to say, you know what, I've been stuck on this long enough. Let's go talk to, let's get some help. And I think that's going to be a struggle for managers, right? Like having that discipline of proactively checking in with people more so that they would or need to uh, if they just sit together in, in the same shared space. So like, here's the initial brain dump of, of thoughts. Uh, I think we should we can dig, go dig deeper into a variety of areas because there's there's a conversation about the process, there's a conversation about tools, and there's a conversation about skills. And I think those are different uh, depending on the kind of company you are and the kind of uh, like where you are in your career, both as a leader as well as the uh, contributor to the team. I think I mostly agree with you. Like I I like remote work, um, and our team is almost completely distributed. So we, we're never in the same office. My office before this was an airplane or the Delta <laughs> Sky Miles Lounge. Um, but I don't, I don't think that um, fully remote is right for everybody. And engineering teams are, especially new engineers, is a, that's a good example. Because I know like when I started, it, I needed to be sitting next to one of my teammates because I needed my team lead to recognize when I was stuck and I didn't want to ask for help because I was nervous and didn't want to look stupid and thought I for sure should have known how to figure this out. And he was a good manager because he recognized that quickly. But uh, and that's as somebody who was already used to working remote. I worked remote before that. But Baruch checks in on me about once a week. And that's a good spot for me personally. But. Now, the thing is, I have no idea if once a week is too much too little, you know, if I ask the, the right questions when I do that and uh, I don't know how to get better in that because obviously your feedback is in part by the fact that of, of our relationship, right? But I don't have any, any other. So those, those are the questions that I really don't know how to answer. And uh, Leonid, with his experience, probably does. Well, I don't think there's a magic answer, but I think uh, both of you touched on something. I think it's important to have the conversation because it's also an individualized approach. Everybody is different and everybody needs a different cadence. And, uh, and, and, and I think for, for somebody who's responsible for leading a group of people to have a conversation uh, with, with people that they, they, they're helping about what's the right cadence or what what should I be watching uh, for the symptoms? And not everybody's going to be comfortable having those conversations, both as as as, a, as somebody who leads the team uh, or somebody who who's being asked this question. You have to be open and self-reflective uh, to to realize what are your symptoms of being stuck and what should you tell the other party of like, hey, listen, if you see me do this, I'm probably stuck. Right? It requires some self-discipline and. And like any other skill, like you, you learn it by doing, right? And I think, um, uh, but it, I think it starts with the conversation and trying to find individualized approach because I think one, 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 one rule to rule them all is not going to work. It's not going to work with people. For sure. uh, that's one of the parts I enjoy about my, my role as, 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 a, as an org leader. Uh, you know, I, I shamelessly stole this um, from uh, one of my architects, I think. You know, dealing with computers is different uh, from dealing with humans. Humans are non-deterministic variable feedback uh, time machines. And, <laughs> uh, and the variation on that is much, much higher than uh, dealing with the most, even the most complex distributed systems. 
and that makes it kind of uniquely uh, both challenging and stimulating if you if you can go and find uh, the ways to to kind of manipulate or like move those systems uh, into a direction. Uh, but the approach is always individualized. I think it's it's important to note for people listening that uh, this is not a normal remote work environment, what we're in right now. This doesn't feel like uh, what it felt like when I was working remotely like three or four years ago. It's uh, everybody's productivity is is down a little bit. So except for maybe me and Baruch, who it feels like we're both working like way more than we did when we could fly. Yeah, well, exactly. I, think, I think the real question is, do you have kids that you need to take care of most of the day or, or, or you don't, right? So I think here among three of us, we are uh, in the fortunate, our fortunate, whatever, whatever you want to call it, position that we don't have those interruptions. But uh, we know people on our team as well uh, who are not working but trying to work. Yeah. Uh, because of like the tremendous disruption that they have in their lives with their kids being home. Either it's a uh, single parents who actually need to uh, kids Parent. require their attention or uh, there is like just eight kids in house. And I mean, <laughs> good, good luck, good luck working with that. So and I think there's the a biggest difference. Yeah. And you know what? It's not just kids. I think there's another extreme. Like, for example, in the Bay Area, for folks early in their career, roommates are very common. But typically, at least in my experience, folks don't have the living conditions that allow them to coexist with their roommate. It's for the entire day during the day, right? Those were places where you go cook, shower, maybe, maybe watch some TV. Uh, but you don't you 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 didn't used to spend a lot of time in them. Um and and those you know, so we, we haven't touched on that area. Like if you want to work from home, you have to have a work environment set up to, to be productive from home. Yeah. And it goes from like fundamentals and sm- some of the smarter companies in the Bay Area, uh, when they were kind of switching to remote, told employees, like, if you don't have a monitor at home, Hate take it. a monitor, right? Yeah. But I know Google did that. Literally know- people take like their whole, de- whole ass desks if they wanted to. Yeah. Well, the next question is, do I have a room and setup for that? And then I just run into the most peculiar situation where uh, the, there's a household that I, I heard of where there are two friends that live. Uh, they both work. One works for Apple. One works for Facebook. And, well, neither of them can take any hardware to work uh, to home yeah. because there are confidentiality reasons. So we're now also starting to run into situations of remote home in a shared living environment also creates all kinds of interesting problems for companies uh, f- uh, when it comes to confidentiality. Because you may yeah. be living or having a Zoom meeting uh, right next to one of your direct competitors. Yeah, that's true. That's not something I, uh, I considered. How do you handle that? You just don't attend that meeting or you wear headphones, but they could still look over and see the slide deck that's on your screen or it, it, it it's 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 something we have to go figure it out and i think if we if you know a lot of people are forecasting that this this nature of work and people will love the fact that they don't have to go to the office right uh uh will, will persist and i think it will persist to a certain extent because certain companies uh who were shy from trying this or certain managers or leaders who were shy from trying this will discover that actually workable right yeah I don't think it will work for all the situations. And if, if it does become more common, more permanent, I think we we'll either will see the redistribution of population into lower, like kind of lower 
density. Like you don't have to live in San Francisco if you're working remote. You can be in Denver one hour away and in much more beneficial kind of cost of living situation uh, and possibly uh, by yourself i.e. without roommates or in a place where you and roommates can share both living and working spaces without interfering with each other, right? Yeah. Or I think uh, we will uh, uh, we will see... I actually think some people will clamor to go back to the office, right? Uh, depending on, on, on your personal situation, uh, a lot of humans are social creatures and the social interaction is, you know, like really everybody important. else, I'm sure. Uh, I've been having drinks with my friends over Zoom. I've been it's doing exciting. that too, yeah. <laughs> we we had I had drinks uh, over Zoom with friends who I have in Europe, like in in Serbia, in in Croatia, in Poland, which normally under any normal circumstances I actually I do. probably wouldn't even consider doing, because we all would be busy with our lives. Uh, but it's not the same. Yeah, not the same. Okay. Not the same. Yeah. So what what do you, what do you think? Like uh, like what are you seeing and 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 observing from the folks you have been talking to? Like what what is what is the norm? Are we ready? Are we mature enough on tools and processes? Are humans uh, like do people have the right living environments to to do this sustainable in a sustainable way? I think it really varies. Like some some people I know are handling this way 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 better than others. Um, even those who are like very used to remote work are finding this more like emotionally stressful because there's a lot of like doom and gloom and the news is terrifying. So it's more emotionally stressful than usual. But I think once, I think the end result will be that there, there are more people working remote because some people are just way happier like this. I, I personally am not a fan of going into offices on a regular basis. Um, I, I am less productive there because people always want to chit chat with me and I find it distracting. And I have a couple of coworkers who don't respect the like headphones rule. And I, it just, it, it throws off my groove entirely. But um, as an industry, no, I think we've still got some, some work to do before it's uh, wholly efficient to work from home. So, so what are the tools we, we're missing? This is the one of the things I've been pondering about because I'll tell you, you know, if this happened in 2008, we would have been wholly screwed because like the things like high-speed internet, Slack. Oh, for sure. That would have Zoom, been a like, shit show. So, how, so about, re- how about 1998? Yeah. What would we do? I mean, we no, no, would sit in like, front of the TV for, for 20 hours a day out of work. Because yes. I, I think we would be less stressed because in 1998, the world was less connected than it is in 2008 and it is today, right? So there's this personal social media aspect. But like, for example, let's talk about tools. Like f- people have tried time and time again, and nobody has properly solved the wide, their distributed whiteboard problem to this day, right? And, you know, software engineers and whiteboards, they go hand in hand. I've been to so many companies or I've joined companies where I was like, wait, we don't have a whiteboard? It's like everywhere and on the shop floor and <laughs> uh, in every nook and cranny. So like, I still haven't seen a good solution, although I've seen some very expensive solutions that integrate with Zoom around like distributed whiteboarding and TVs. Yeah. But you're not going to put it, you know, well, no, no, the Zoom ones work quite well, but she's not going to put one in every individual's home, right? No. Yeah, no way. 
Like I, I mean, I love a. I was an engineer before I was a developer advocate on the IoT team. You're still an engineer. I'm still an engineer, but now I'm part of the marketing org. So no, it you know, doesn't count. Still an the marketing team doesn't want me to want me to admit that I'm still an engineer. I'm marketing now. I don't but, want you uh, to admit that you're marketing. You're still. An engineer. <laughs> it's true. It goes both ways. But around the desks uh, for the IoT team and the Seattle office here, we've got like eight whiteboards. Like we can't get enough of them. Yep. And we use them constantly. But at home, I have to use, if I want to use a whiteboard, whiteboard, I have to use like my living room windows. Well, That's you remember true. how last week we interviewed Sam Boyer and that was a fascinating interview. Yeah. And, and one of the things he has, and it's a part of his setup, it's not accidentally, that on his background, it is actually a whiteboard that he can draw on it and then the camera shows what's what's there and it worked really really well. It worked well. really really well. Yeah. But that's that's to me in my experience that's an exception to the rule because trying to point a, a like a, even a 1080p camera at the whiteboard is just a disaster because of lighting, because of angles, because of resolution. So so it may work in some cases but like is this a scalable solution for a sustainable remote work? That's a I good question. I can't say for yeah. sure that it is. You know, it just feels like it's not there yet. And that and his solution relied on the ability to have like a physical whiteboard behind his camera. Yep. And I don't have I have nowhere in my apartment I could do that. Yeah. No. So I know a bunch of my friends who were playing with this product. I don't know if you guys have heard of it or used it called Mirror, like Mirror Board. I've used it, yeah. So so we actually used it for distributed planning at SignalFX when we were doing planning across multiple engineering sites. Uh, but yeah, so that's one area. What I guess, what other tools are, 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 are we still struggling with? Mm. Yeah, so it fills in a bunch of holes. Conferences, conferencing like in uh, events and conferences that we are going to, that now we are trying to replace the offline conferences and face-to-face with, with something online. And this is something that obviously we're all very uh, opinionated about because all of us are speakers and uh, all three of us have, have opinions on how to do it or, or how not to do it. Um, so our, our friends from the Jagru group, the, the, the folks who organize a bunch of conferences that we all like and uh, at spoke at and will spoke in the future, including DevOps that I think all three of us are speaking there. Um, they try to solve this problem of how not to make an online conference just an endless stream of webinars. Yeah. That's, I, we do need a solution for that because it, people tune out during webinars all day, you know? If there's not some kind of like interactive element to it, it starts to feel very, it, it does just feel like you're watching a series of webinars every day and you're going to get bored and you're going to tune out eventually. And how do you make that more engaging? How do you emulate the hallway track? Well, especially since most webinars uh, are not engaging uh, to begin with and they already have a bad rap. Exactly. Yeah. Sure. So, so I know folks are thinking about it, but like conferences are interesting, uh, you, you know, to three of us because we are kind of, this is inside baseball type of conversation. I'm more curious about your thoughts on uh, 
other tools uh, that, uh, that the industry needs if we want to be successful in this remote work. And, uh, you know, you, I, due to the nature of my role, tend to spend a lot of my time at the office with people. Uh, and then, you know, the rest of that time is still sliced in half an hour to one hour increments on, you know, in meetings, video conferences, and, 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 and other conversations. But for somebody who, 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 who does do the remote work, either because you travel or either, you know, because you're finding yourself in the situation, I'm curious, like, Baro, Kat, what other tools are you lacking today? Maybe I'm looking for an idea for a next startup. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. So me personally, despite everything that's going on with Zoom, I'm still a um, relatively big fan of Zoom uh, because uh, it does two things very well. Uh, it deals well with bad internet, providing, providing reasonable quality of audio and or video, or, you know, when you turn off the video, then the audio remains uh, in uh, sustainable quality and providing a good quality, not great, but good quality of audio and video over a good internet connection. And I think those two, ah, and it does it without spinning your CPU to 150%. I think there's a third or fourth, whatever the count is important feature on Zoom for people who all of a sudden have to go invite their coworkers into their living spaces. Uh, the virtual backgrounds. Yes, Zoom's capabilities around virtual backgrounds without having concrete green screen, uh, like a real green screens are rather amazing. Uh, and I think you know, there was a lot of interesting write-ups about this in, in remote learning environments for kids from different socioeconomic backgrounds uh, and how at school, right? The virtual background is a great, uh, great equalizer. Equalizer, yes. Uh, but, but I think even for, for this in-home environment, uh, you they embrace it, and kind of some people embrace it, right? The kids, the the dogs, or some people find it incredibly comforting that you don't have to go deal with the messiness behind you, uh, right? And you just throw up a virtual background. Oh, yes. I love not having to stress about how messy my living room is right behind me. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so I think, uh, and, and frankly, all this pile up on Zoom, uh, I think a lot of it is completely uncalled for. The, what they call security flows are mostly about people not using the software correctly. I mean, yes, the software, it's, it's, it's in the, um, the, the provider of software, the software vendor uh, is in charge of making your software as intuitive as possible to use it the right way. But sure. in the end of the day, if you call for people to join your meeting and you publish how to do it, people will join your meeting, all kinds of people. And this is not something that, you know, up to a vendor to actually solve. Yeah, I, I don't, go ahead, I don't think it's fair to uh, like shit on them over the uh, like, not password protecting your Zoom meetings thing. Like if you're if you're publishing the meeting ID publicly, like like you said, like what do you what do you expect? I do think that they make some decisions about the way their software behaves that is incredibly shady at best. Like asking for elevated access to yes. reboot the audio stack. Yes. Uh, we don't know whether or not that stores your admin password. Absolutely. And it is a prompt that they specifically designed to look like a system message when it's not. And yes, 
that's fucked up. Absolutely. I agree. There are a lot of fuck ups, but most of the what people are screaming about is is actually user errors. So so I have a different perspective on this. And and I think that's the nature of being in the middle of public eye and and being widely used. Yes. Uh, I I think Zoom historically has won because they favored usability over everything else, right? The famous story was the virtual uh, local host server that was running so the meeting could start automatically when you click on the link. Yeah. It's a great example. Of that. So they favored that. Um, and to me, this is like a story of, of cars and seatbelts. For a while, you know, we didn't care that cars didn't have seatbelts or airbags. Because they were not costing us a lot of money as the society of not killing people in droves. And then at some point, we reached that threshold and we started caring and we criticized or if anything, we made it mandatory for the manufacturers or for the purveyors of those types of um, capabilities to do certain things on behalf uh, of the end user. And I think Zoom is just finding itself in, in that same situation. So I don't think the criticism is unfair. Uh, but they're not most, evil. They're not malicious. They're not like, evil. They may be negligent yes. at scale, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, but to their credit, and and I think um, I have had to scale businesses the way, like when when the wave hit unexpectedly. To their credit, I think they managed to scale the business, stay up, and also be very responsive to to this feedback that they were getting from the community at large. And quite frankly, I think they acted on most of it, if not all of it so far. Yeah, I think and, they've, their response has been commendable, I think. Yeah. And I think the lessons learned from, and I and I don't remember the numbers, uh, like I think they went from something like 10 million Mao Dao to like 200. Like that type of scale while it's trying nice. to, deal with, to deal with something else, I think it's highly commendable. Yeah. It's, and it I, will I, leave him uh, a better vendor for that, right? Yeah, well, it's, sure, it's got to be sure. a stressful position to be in to just like all of a sudden have to scale that far that rapidly. Yep. That alone and has being to be in the public rubbish. eye and having all this criticism either deserved or not deserved, but you cannot yeah. blame the victim. You cannot go ahead and say, no, you're stupid. You, you, you're you using it wrong. Mm-hmm. Instead, they actually need to fix it, although it wasn't their fault in the first place, of course. Yes. Yeah. I mean, some companies can say don't hold it like that, but probably not every company. Uh, Piling shit on companies that help us doing... Are we done with like things that we're lacking for this to be sustainable? I'm just curious if you guys have other things that like bug you. Yeah, yeah. That's what I wanted to say. Let's talk about... Let's let's talk about Slack. And uh, their... um, their effort of being the tool for remote work while they are notoriously uh, refusing being a remote company while they come to their own um, to their own r and d and and you know be their own their own organization they yeah, never hired so remote they never hired remote they opposed it but now you see stuff like let us teach you how to work how to be productive remotely with slack yeah that is that's really weird like i i don't know how they i mean they got their they got jumped on on twitter over that and i don't know how they expected anything less i think it stems from the usual disconnect between the marketing side of the house yeah, and the engineering side of the house and the philosophies uh, 
uh, you know, different. They, they, they sell different things that they practice. And uh, quite frankly, I don't know if it's a situation of awareness of what's going on within the company on the marketing side of the house, because of course, if I was a marketer, I would be like, I don't know, I haven't been following JFrog, shame on me, but was there not article about uh, CICD pipelines in the, in the work from home environment? Did, you, did, did the marketing <laughs> put something like that out? Yeah, we, we, we thought about how can we promote uh, our, obviously our tools using this situation and mention how setting up Artifactory helps to work remotely. I hope it never get anywhere because it doesn't make a lot of sense, but I've been asked. Well, I would yeah. argue that like, and we can we can talk about this, I think like reliable CI/CD pipeline is incredibly important where you cannot get a hold of an individual by tapping Absolutely. them on the shoulder after they broke the build, right? Uh, and I think, uh, and Baruch knows that I've been a fan of the company for a long time. I think artifact management is incredibly important part of that chain. Uh, but for Slack, you know, I, to me, it stems from the, the usual disconnect from marketing and, and the other side of the house, right? And, and that not being caught. And uh, as I said, I am a big believer in collocated uh, engineering teams, uh, not just engineering teams. I'm a big believer in collocating engineering teams with people that write documentation, uh, that uh, create the UX, that do product management to the extent that possible. I still find it uh, more efficient and absolute. Is it more efficient in its totality after you add up the commute time and all those other things? You know, that, that's a great conversation. Uh, but uh, it, it is not surprising to me that, that, uh, that Slack does that. And I don't know if they have this, you know, Silicon Valley elitism, if you will, of, you know, the best engineers live in the seven square miles uh, of most, some of the most expensive real estate in the world. Um, uh, because I've seen a lot of startups who, who I advise or consulted or was asked to help. And we talked about distributed site strategies and um, maybe building another site uh, outside of uh, the Bay Area, whether it's uh, in places like Austin, Boston, somewhere on the other side of the pond. And, and there is this elitism. And I've been privileged enough to live and work professionally in several different countries and several different environments. And yes, Silicon Valley has not been reproduced anywhere else, right? We are the Hollywood of the software industry. And yes, they make, they make movies outside of Hollywood. Uh, but, you know, we have the concentration of talent, i.e. the trades. Uh, we have the concentration of money and we have the concentration. And we have a different culture. The, I think the biggest advantage Valley has is, is a culture is its openness and willingness to talk about things without worrying that just a conversation will, will create some kind of disadvantage. So I don't know if that's, that's where Slack falls uh, and that's where they behave, but there's certainly a clear disconnect between what happens on the dev side and the marketing side. Yeah, maybe that's why uh, we have our DevRel team in the marketing org so that we, the engineers, can tell <laughs> marketing, hey, maybe don't yeah. do that. <laughs> Don't publish that. I've spent enough time telling them which uh, email subject line is uh, the most appealing to engineers. Yeah. Well, so, and they well, ask, right? So this they is ask. The, they ask, yeah. which is important. Like that's my that's part of my job is answering that question. And they have the uh, they have the foresight to ask the person whose job it is, rather than just yeeting some weird no. thing about CI/CD into the void. 
Yeah. Well, and by the way, to be fair to 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 Slack, right? Well, Twitter is an eco chamber. Silicon Valley and the it tech is. community is an eco chamber, and I have to wonder if that particular marketing message was 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 targeted to people who are so far from even thinking about Slack, right? Because we we do I mean, know that there's a long tail uh, on that maturity curve on either working remotely or even the long tail on. On, on software that has still been written, you know, great example of New York, New York State looking for COBOL engineers to fix the unemployment system because it's not coping. Uh, so, 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 so perhaps that message was effective outside of the community. And, you know, yeah, they got flagged from this from a community. Yeah. I think the company will ultimately survive. There are no better mm-hmm. alternatives. Oh, and- for sure. I don't think they're going to be toppled anytime soon. Yeah, there are no like- better alternatives and like, it's interesting when Slack showed up. I, I I looked at it. and I'm like, well, so this is a new version of glorified MIRC client for yeah, for it's Merck. It's Merck yeah. again. Yeah, you know where it can bite them. It can bite them in hiring because in the end of the day, especially because they don't have the remote, uh, the remote work culture, they will hire from this very small. A pool of people who actually were active on this uh, Twitter campaign of uh, shaming them uh, that they don't that they don't do what they preach, and this is where it can uh, it can harm. It could. Let me let me counter you though. Uh, giving everything else going in the valley, the the hiring market just shifted from being owned by the employee to be owned by the employer because at the end of the day, you have to pay rent and eat. Um, so I think uh, for the next year or so, uh, more stable companies uh, will be much more attractive to certain type of engineers, uh, you know, people on work visas, people who are still, uh, who may become risk averse as a result of this uh, current economic situation. And by the time the market recovers, I think people will forget. And that was a perfect segue to talk about the to talk about the the, the um, HR market because I think this is fascinating. Uh, for the last couple of years, we got used to and kind of uh, worked hard uh, to uh, survive in the um, in the employee market. Uh, one of the side effects was, I think. Um, the move the, the move towards uh, inclusivity and diversity because except of the fact that that's the right thing to do, it also help, helped the employers to widen the, the pool from which they can draw uh, resources. Uh, now we suddenly back to the scenario when, the employers can actually pick and choose and they don't need to put more efforts in finding more people because there are a lot of people to choose. And I wonder if that won't harm our um, exclusivity and diversity efforts. I think it may or may not. I, I would argue that some in some places the momentum and the velocity is enough, right? Where... If you have more candidates to go pick and choose from, you know, and I'll give you a counterpoint. And I had conversations like that with my own teams that would encourage me uh, and were asking me about our own diversity efforts uh, at, at places where I run teams. And I would tell you, like, listen, our choice as a, as a startup trying to survive is if I have an engineer today to keep looking for an engineer that will further diversify the team. And uh, 
we were pretty fortunate at SignalFX. We had a uh, fairly diverse uh, uh, set of folks, both gender and ethnicity and kind of all kinds of representation, both in leadership and, and, and engineering roles and product roles. Uh, but for a startup who's trying to survive, right, the, the, your choice is you hire now or you or you wait. So quite frankly, I think if, if the candidate or if the talent pool is increasing, right, or if it's easier to find candidates, maybe easier to find diverse candidates. So I think for some companies, uh, the momentum is there. And I think there's a second, um, second dimension uh, not to be lost. Uh, there is a, an, it, it's a big shift in enterprise software buying partners that I've seen. And it's the shift of folks or the generation that grew up with those values uh, coming to power, right? Becoming leaders in organizations. It's the conversation that there is a reason there's a great um, effort and usability of enterprise software because the generation that grew up with the digital phone in their hand and the usability of the mobile operating systems is going to refuse to buy enterprise tools uh, that look like uh, they looked 15 years ago, Right. So, so, so I think uh, it, it may balance out with the fact that folks um, uh, that grew up with those values are now coming uh, to places where they're also decision makers. And interestingly enough, I think in the time like this, at least in my experience, you see what I would call more field promotions, right? Where people may be giving roles uh, ahead of being ready because the company would rather promote somebody from inside to, to uh, re retain them, and grow them instead of bringing somebody from outside, and therefore you may see more of those leaders coming into those decision-making uh, roles. Kat, what do you think about that? About the inclusion and diversity in in, in times of COVID nineteen, if you wish. Ah, talking about diversity and inclusion on a panel with two white dudes in the tech well, industry. <laughs> so now, privileged now two white talking. privileged dudes. Let's let's just <laughs> That's like true. That's true. dig it. Let's dig our own uh, <laughs> deeper here. Um, well, I don't so, know about you. I was a refugee when I escaped the Soviet Union. If that counts for anything. It does. It does. Uh, you know, I turned 18 in 2008. So uh, I turned 18, I graduated from high school, and the market immediately crashed. So I am, uh, unfortunately, and most of my peers are, unfortunately, like very, very used to this kind of like, feeling of economic uncertainty, like being Yours is the most screwed generation, I have to say, because oh, it, it gradu it's graduated right around the time or it started uh, coming into the workforce right around the time when we were dealing with economic uncertainty. And now uh, your generation is of age where it's time to get settled kids, houses, whatever. And now we're hitting this wave again. Like we were just having this conversation amongst friends. I think people of that age bracket, yes, I, I like bar, nah. We were slightly older when, when our first recession hit, right, Baruch? We were like mid-20s. You mean the 2000, the dot-com? Yeah. Uh, the yeah. dot-com? Yeah. yeah, we were in our yeah, mid-20s yeah. by then. Past yeah, because that yeah. happened in like 2000, 1998, 2000, something like that? Yeah, no, end of 2000, yeah. end of 2000. 2000 like, yeah. like I joined Taleo in March of 2000, and by December, things melted. Yeah, yeah. no, but I, I feel you because my first job after university and the army that I was starting to look was exactly in the end of 2000. So yeah, yeah it's, I was, it's not I was good thinking feeling. about Jane Torres and, and, you know, wait, w w w you know, like 
kind of weird positions that I looked at. Yeah, yeah. So sorry about that. You were you were saying about that uncertainty and yeah. So my my generation is used to it because we've we've dealt with this our like our entire lives, uh, our entire adult lives at least. So it's just. I don't know, somehow it feels right that as soon as we started to get our legs underneath us, you know, we're, we're now in our late twenties, early thirties, mid thirties, we, we got our shit together and then it all falls apart again. I don't know. That's some like bizarre cosmic justice there, but um, I don't know that it will necessarily have an impact on uh hiring where diversity and inclusion is concerned um just because we're now so loud about diversity and inclusion being an issue in the tech industry that i i don't think anybody could get away with just hiring a team full of 30 year old white dudes again i i don't i don't think you could get away with it we're we're too aggressive about it. We're too loud, and we're we're not going to tolerate that anymore. Um, so I don't I don't really think it'll be a, a problem. I think hiring in general will be a problem for like a hot minute. You know, a few companies have ramped up their hiring, but a pretty considerable number of them have hiring freezes right now. But I well, I don't think that's yeah. No, that's the other way around. It's like getting a job will be. Yeah, Harder. hiring is going to be very easy now. I think, yeah, yeah. Finding talent is going to be easy. Getting a job is going to be hard. But it, um, you it's know. going to be hard. But like, I don't think anybody in our industry is going to suffer like uh, uh, proportionally as much as as the rest of 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 the professional world. Just given that you know we entered this period of was 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 a great shortage of professionals, like in millions worldwide. Uh, so we may be looking at redistribution and maybe readjustment of what we are able to command as professionals in terms of compensation. But like we, I think all of us as an industry are lucky to be at the right place at the right time. I agree. Yeah. We're, uh, we're in a good spot industry wide, you know, but these kinds of economic disasters do tend to like disproportionately affect um Poor people, um, people of color, um, any any other demographic that's like historically been marginalized. Uh, I just don't know enough about it to say whether or not like this is going to hurt diversity hiring initiatives. You know, I don't I don't have enough facts to make an informed opinion on that which i think is something that more people should be okay with saying you should be able to say i don't know enough about this to have an informed opinion so i'm just not gonna say you know be be okay admitting when you don't know stuff yeah no i obviously i don't have any any answers on that as well i just wonder if we if the activation in energy that we put into this because it was our economic interest to enlarge the pool from which we uh, fish the uh, the talent was enough to keep this train going when we don't need this economic incentive anymore. That was well, my I, question. I don't have answer. 
The interesting thought here, you said activation energy, Baruch. Well, if you think this will behave like an activation energy, this became a self-sustaining chemical reaction for those uh, that are into chemistry and know what activation energy means. So I I have to wonder if there was enough activation uh, energy put into it for this to become a self-sustaining reaction. Yeah, that was that's exactly was my question. I don't have an answer, obviously. Well, my time feeling- will tell. But I exist in an echo chamber of people who are also very, very loud about diversity and inclusion in tech. So um, maybe, maybe I only feel that way because those are the people I talk to, and nobody is. Uh, if anything, people are louder about it right yeah. now. So. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully that it is. It is this chemical reaction which is here to stay. I think yeah. we all we all agree that it would be a good thing. It would be, um, yeah. What else we didn't talk to and uh, about and wanted to talk about today? Uh, well, the earnings are coming. The oh, earnings are coming. Earnings yes. fall. The earnings <laughs> well, are coming, and I am. Um, I'm Q1, curious though, if you got- it's, it's not it's not the horrific Q2 that. Only well, March, March, March uh, is, is, is squarely in Q1. And some companies, a lot of uh, high-tech companies move their sales year, right? And it actually starts uh, February 1st now because oh. people learn that closing deals. Well, it, it, it's done for two simple reasons. Number one, closing deals on December 31st sucks. Hard. Yeah. No, no, it just sucks. I've done, I had to approve uh, legal red lines on vacation somewhere like in Guatemala with like barely, barely working uh, internet connection in the past. So it just sucks, right? No, that's so not fair of, to anybody. So a lot of software companies move their, uh, move their fiscal years uh, to uh, January 1st. So some of them will be more affected by this, but I'm still bullish on places like Microsoft, Google Cloud, like Azure, Google Cloud, and Amazon, I think. The money is cheap, way cheaper than I ever remember it being to borrow. Yeah. And I think the bigger companies will continue to benefit from this. And I think, you know, one of the best memes I've seen on the internet recently is uh, what was the root cause of your digital transformation? CIO, CTO, uh, customers, COVID-19. <laughs> <laughs> I think this, this economic recession, and we saw that in 2008 uh, to a certain uh, extent, uh, will will be another great transformational time for software to continue to move towards the cloud. Yeah, for, for sure it has forced uh, a lot of companies to uh, adapt very rapidly. What, what's the Bear Grylls thing? Adapt, overcome, what's the other one? Nobody knows what I'm talking about? Nobody watches Bear Grylls? That's okay. <laughs> That's okay, you should watch it though. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> boomers. We were being told by Cat, okay, boomers, we acknowledge it and move on. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Sorry about that, boomers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we will. No, this I, is a perfect segue after the conversation about inclusion and diversity. Exactly. And, <laughs> now, uh, and by the way, Cat, just for your record, you know, uh, as I found out on, my, uh, on one of my birthdays, yeah, Baruch and I both in protected class. Yes. Are you? Like- oh, you because you're old enough to be a victim that- to age discrimination, right? Yes. Exactly. Yes. And, yeah. and, and apparently the threshold is not that old, as I found out. Uh, it was How old is Thursday. it? 40. 40. 40? Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm yeah. excited. 
I'm so excited to get to join AARP. I want discounts on coffee at McDonald's. No, no, no. Nobody talks about AARP, but we're a protected class, and thus you cannot discriminate against us by age, just, just so we're clear. That's, okay. I found out by uh, through a birthday card that I got from one of my friends who's a few months ahead of me. So mm-hmm. that's how you learn those things. Apparently, it's uh, an initiation. He congratulated you for joining the protected class? Pretty much. That was the nice. birthday card. Nice. Nice. How does it feel? Yeah, saying that, I don't think we are very upset about our age and place in the world learning no no it feels like being a teenager with a wallet of a 40 plus year old so i think feels great yeah yeah <laughs> no, no complaints no complaints on age definitely not we do uh, miss a lot of references on the latest memes those yes uh, well i think we missed the meme references for two reasons there's the you know, I've spent 20 years in, in, in North America and I'm still catching up. Uh, yeah, no, so there's this, there's the, oh, yeah. you know, the there's memes the- you grew up with and there is the memes uh, that are generational. Sure. Yeah. yeah so that's- funny enough, you know, you know where you feel it the most when you watch the trivia uh, TV shows like uh, uh, the millionaire, you want to become a millionaire and stuff because the, um, the first few questions are about the things the that you culture. grew up with. Right. Yeah. And I was uh, that was always an issue for me. The first few questions, both in the American, the original version and also in the Israeli version with Russian version. It's the other way around. I nailed the f- couple of you that you grew up with. And then they go into like the current state of things, which I'm uh, really off. And this is where I felt. So trivia challenges are really hard for for uh, immigrants in general and immigrants twice or three times as Leonid in particular. Well, if uh, you need like a monthly overview of current memes and youth slang, old man Baruch, I can put together a monthly presentation for you and be the, I don't know, millennial advisor to the DevRel. Oh, nice. Nice. That's a, yeah, yeah. I got to keep those memes fresh. This, by the way, this could be like a a business. This could be a consulting service to a bunch of organizations. (laughs) I think it's at least can be a podcast with like a free part and then Patreon protected advanced things in the free. (laughs) We'll talk something that you can Google in like five minutes and okay. on the advanced, the protected thing, it will be like the post irony and the recursive memes that you really need to have a lot of background to understand. Let's just oh, say okay. the frequency with which I have to use the urban dictionary has been increasing over the years. Oh, that's tough. Yeah. I mean, yeah. our slang does get like weirder and weirder. It, it took me, I don't know, a good month to get uh, Casey. Um, Omara, he's in the BizDev org in the Seattle office for JFrog here. It took me a good month to get him to understand uh, correct usage of the word yeet. Uh, do enlighten. Do, do, you, do you understand yeet or no? no. I don't no. know. <laughs> you, see, you see, the generational divide in slang exists by design to, to separate the generations and to give uh, a common vernacular to to each mm. of the generations, so they, you know, it's like Facebook versus Snapchat for parents and kids. Sure. So, so, so it's a natural phenomenon. But please enlighten us. Uh, so, yeet is literally it means like to hurl with wild abandon. You know, uh, like are you familiar with people like wadding up a piece of paper and throwing it into the trash can and going Kobe or whatever? So imagine if instead of like trying to like delicately throw it into the trash can you just like wind up and hurl it 
out mm-hmm. in space, that's a that's a yeet. I, I don't know. For my generation, hurling is associated with a completely with different puking. activity. With yes. puking, yes. Yes. Uh, but yeah, if you like just, just wind up and throw something real hard, yes. that's a yeet. But it's the usage where it's weird. Like if you're about to do something stupid or like you just go, ah, you know what? Screw it. YOLO. That's also an appropriate time to say yeet. Yeet is, yeet is to do anything with wild abandon to just uh, go for it most recent term i had to look up uh, on urban dictionary let's let's test baruch let's see if he knows baruch do you know no, what wait a killed? second first of all wait a second marketing first so that was a promotion of our future coming podcast about um how to understand millennials for boomers <laughs> and uh, stay tuned for uh, more for, for future episodes yep we're quit uh, maybe uh, yeah, te- 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 techno lingo, but yeah, Baruch, let's let's see if you can. So the most recent one, you have kids, so you may you may you may be closer to that than I am. Uh, what about the till T I L? That one required a trip to an urban dictionary for me. T I L. Yes. Uh, it might ring a bell, but I'm not sure I can refer it to it so now. Kat Kat is smiling. I can see that, so she she clearly <laughs> knows. It stands for it's- this. That is lit. Oh no, no. See? Didn't know that. Had to go look it up. All right. Uh it more commonly means today I learned. That too. Yeah. Yeah, no, that we know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That I learned we know. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't that by the way, I didn't know that meaning uh up until recently as well. (laughs) No, but that's like a that's like a Twitter prefix. I guess. yeah, Yeah, now you go to when you discovered something then you go to your twitter and write til and then what you actually learned hoping it's as surprising to everybody else as it was for you Uh, yeah i think that started on reddit actually because there's a there's a subreddit called today i learned that's been like a default Ah. front page subreddit for like an eternity Ah, for like seven years or something so it it probably started on reddit today we learned yeah. That TIL was born already. Hey, listen, yeah. I'm not ashamed to admit that I've recently learned that the most screwdrivers are designed to, to work with a wrench. Pardon? Ah, most handles of screwdrivers have those ridges on them that yeah. fit a wrench perfectly so you can apply more torque. Fuck, are you serious? Uh, you see? It's a, it's oh. a mind, yes. Yes. Today I learned. I mean, when yes. I'm done with this podcast, I'm gonna go get a wrench and a screwdriver out of my junk drawer and test that. But that's yeah. So wow, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm thinking about my screwdrivers. Some of them are clearly designed for that. Others are not. I'm not but but like yeah, it's a thing, huh? Whether I mean or not, uh, here we learned. So, so perhaps the, the way to wrap this up, uh, and I don't know how we're doing on time, is uh, you know this, this unique situation that we have today is, is a good opportunity to learn new skills and, 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 and to, to learn mm-hmm. about how to work effectively differently because whether we go back to normal or whether we go back to something that looks uh, between what it used to be in, yeah. uh, and, and something in the new, any of those skills that any of us who are working from home will pick up would be uh, would be useful because they you never know when they're going to come in handy. It's true. I want to learn Rust. I'm going to use some of this time to learn Rust. 
Yeah, no, I, I mean that's that's a good that's a good opportunity to learn all kind of things. That's for sure. I've been geeking out on my previous professional sabbatical. I was geeking out with uh, machine learning and uh, trained uh, five different neural nets to play snake, oh, uh, that's fun. using yeah. different techniques. Uh, this time around, so far, I've geeked out on uh, uh, Kubernetes and sidecars. I was intrigued and by the realized sidecar. that you don't want to touch it ever again in your life. Mm, no, I realized that as an old boomer, uh, I remember when I had to wait for a server to be rack and stacked if I need capacity. And now with several command lines, I can spin up a cluster of hundreds, deploy things to them, and then apply cross-cutting concern at the networking level with a sidecar, which is my primary goal for the exploration. I wanted to learn more about sidecars. Uh, that was rather interesting. Here you go. <laughs> and I think with this message of keep learning, and now you also have time for that. Well, at least some of us. Um, hey, it goes back you. to the to the founder of the Soviet Union, right? The Russian Republic. Uh, learn, Vladimir learn, learn. Vlad yeah. Vladimir Lenin's uh, slogan was learn, learn, learn. Exactly. So with that, was bringing Lenin into our conversation because that was kind of, uh, you know, expected from us, I guess. Uh, I want to thank our guest for today. Leonid, thank you very much for coming. We just started to explore all kinds of fun topics with you, so that's definitely not the last time. Kat, thank you very much for co-hosting it with me. And my name is Baruch. Thank you very much. Stay tuned for the future episodes of the DevOps Week Easy podcast and see you soon. Bye-bye.